and welcome back to Things Are Going Great For Me, a podcast about the arts and the entertainment business. My name is Jay Claude Deering. I'm an actor and a comedian. If you're new here, welcome. Pull up a chair and get comfortable. Or maybe you're wandering the aisles of a Halloween store because even though it's still September, you don't fuck around when it comes to Halloween. Whatever you're doing, we want you all to enjoy yourselves. You can follow me, your host, at Deering on both Twitter and Instagram, and you can follow our show handle on Instagram at Things Are Going Great For Me. There you'll find our link tree that has links for our email list and some brand new merch, including a quietly dignified Things Are Going Great For Me coffee mug. Perfect for your super grammable Halloween eyeball punch. We've also got hoodies, t-shirts, and tote bags, and even a Things Are Going Great For Me safety mask, folks. So check them out and listen in comfort, style, and good health. You can find all our products in our link tree on our show Instagram page at Things Are Going Great For Me. On our link tree, you'll also find our Patreon, which features additional interview coverage from both our season one and season two guests, including our bonus Quarpod series, in which I ask guests about how they're adjusting to life in our seemingly unending quarantine and how it's changing life in the entertainment industry. Our Patreon is a vital part of making this show happen. So if you'd like to support us, give us a subscribe on there. You can check us out on Patreon directly at patreon.com slash things are going great for me. And by the way, we're thrilled to be sponsored for this series by Icelandic Glacial, the purest tasting water on earth, sourced from the legendary Ulfus Spring in Iceland, naturally filtered through ancient lava rock and certified carbon neutral for both product and operation. You are what you drink. Be a force of nature. Icelandic Glacial Natural Spring Water, sourced from Iceland. Available on Amazon, IcelandicGlacial.com, and a retailer near you. If you like any of what you hear today, please do us a big kindness. Subscribe to the show, leave us a nice comment, tell your aunt about us, give us those five stars wherever you're getting your podcast from today. On this series, you'll hear from huge movie stars, big TV stars, famous podcast hosts, and even some bright, shining Broadway stars, as well as second guest interviews with exciting up-and-coming comics and actors and established producers, authors, writers, and directors. Today's first guest is Sarah Levy. Sarah is a SAG-nominated actor for her role playing Twyla Sands in the record-breaking, Emmy-winning smash streaming hit Schitt's Creek. Sarah talks about the huge success of Schitt's Creek and what it was like growing up as part of Hollywood and Canadian comedy royalty. Sarah is engaged to my friend Graham, who was kind to put us in touch. You may remember Graham's fantastic viral video of Sarah celebrating her show and her family's multiple Emmy wins last year. We talk about her beginnings auditioning in L.A. and her latest comedy horror series, Surrealist Dates, on the Sci-Fi Network. She also talks about her dad's famous Toronto production of Godspell back in 1972. It's a wonderful chat. I'll be speaking with Sarah in a few minutes. And a little bit later, you'll also get my interview with Madison Shepard. Madison is a comedian, writer, and actor who plays Gail on the Jenny Connor exec-produced freeform comedy series Single Drunk Female. She talks podcasting, her old side gig as a Lyft driver, writing for the 72nd Primetime Emmys, and her hilarious debut comedy EP, Goodnight Silver Lake Lounge. Madison is brilliant and funny. Stick around for her interview. You're not going to want to miss it. So Winston, you're you're friends with Madison Shepard. Um, how did you how did you meet Madison? I met uh, Madison through my uh, girlfriend Erica Curry, who uh, did stand up for a while out here. She still does occasionally, and like uh, her and Madison have been friends for a long time. And then I just ran into her at one of Erica's shows. Yeah, she's great. And then I've run into her a couple times since, and she gave me advice actually about uh, should I go to the Royal Central School. <laughs> she was. The, Did that come the, up? Uh, it, it came uh, between us. 
Or yeah, in, in the, were, were yeah. you asking? Yeah, because you know yeah. she and I talked about uh, talked. Yeah, about I was considering. I actually applied once and was considering applying again. Uh, and I, I, through talking to her, realized that what I actually wanted to do was live in London, and I didn't really give a shit about going to that school. Uh, and she was like, yeah, uh, I don't know if I'd advise that for you. And I was like, yeah. oh, okay, thank you. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, she, it's an interesting conversation about the uh, mm-hmm. her experience there. And I think that, you know, we've had a few people on here this season who have spent time over in the UK. Of course, I have as well. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a cultural... Uh, shift it's it there there are things that are specific to the uk that are are um different in the u.s or mm-hmm. you know um when it comes to things like racism we've talked about this already on this program i had talked about it with uh clark peters there's a lot to there's a lot to love about the uk and there's a lot mm-hmm. to love about london and um uh and the and the people and uh but it is there is sometimes a tendency for this feeling of like you know you gotta you you you're not in the club and i I felt that way a little bit as an american over there or as someone with both american u.s uh, and uk citizenship um but also from my friends who live there who are just not british who are like persian and i'm like yeah they don't even and they're i'm like you're a citizen here you were raised here what do you mean and they there's a very weird who's in and who's out there. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. I have a British passport and in order to get my, and I need to get it renewed. And in order to get it renewed, there's a weird thing that I have to go, go back and take another look at this, but you have to get some, like a notable, notable person to sign off on your, uh, uh re- renewal of your passport. And you're, I, so you're not even already, in. you have to keep proving that you're in. I, yeah. Like Ugh. I, I don't know what it means exactly. I don't know. Does this mean I have to, find like a prominent barrister who who, yeah. will, who will approve me. I, yeah, I'm not sure. Someone with a wig. Someone with a wig. <laughs> someone with a powdery okay. wig. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. it's And listen, I love uh, London's easily top five city for me. I love that. So city. you have, so how, how many fun. times have you been? I've been th- four times, three times, three. I've been three times. Once as a child and then twice as an adult. Okay. Is that right? Yeah. Cool. And I've spent a fair amount of time there and I've made, I now have friends like I've, I've had made some friends who I actually met out here and they're from there and then have also met friends. I did uh, some improv the last time I was there and then I've made friends with people there and have run into them in like New York and at like uh, the Del Close Marathon and stuff like that. So I've got like reasonably strong ties to, you know, people I've actually done a show. I did a show for Hoopla Theater out there, a remote one, like a, you know, a I remember Zoom that yeah. improv show. I remember when uh, you did that. Yeah, so uh, I've got some decent ties there and spent some time there. Yeah, not a crazy amount, but some. Uh, yeah, not like you. <laughs> a, a, a great, a, a great country. A, a, you know, um, such a, a fun place. Uh, it, definitely fun to go as uh, as a tourist. Yeah, L- lovely probably to live out in the countryside somewhere. Growing up in the city, uh, lots Sounds you like can do as a young person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can. There's an easy to take. Uh, public transportation yeah definitely definitely a rough town like mm-hmm. uh, you know i f- the you know certainly you don't want to like look sideways at at uh yeah. at, at people sort of like in you know certain roads i would mm-hmm. say like as you're walking down them uh there's a little bit of that like like tough guy attitude in the in the, the you know when we mm-hmm. hear about things like hooliganism and uh which by the way I don't. I have. I don't think I've gotten this far in Ted Lasso. Have they? Have they addressed hooliganism at all? Uh, uh, there is a couple characters who have hooligan tendencies, but they don't address it as like a whole. 
Okay. It's not like they don't have like where all the hooligans are going to fight. They don't have that, but there are just some like some nastier fans, but nothing crazy. Well, I will say I probably said this at some point on the pod, but like I do remember like going to see like a few matches at like Tottenham Hotspur mm-hmm. and just the just like the uh just w- the things that people said. Yeah. <laughs> what like it's Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, yeah. the insults are that level of like Shakespeare. Um um so yeah i mean uh, a proud people um <laughs> we end it there we end a it proud there. people we end the whole uh, podcast right there um so winston so this was funny uh so sarah's fiance graham was mm-hmm. the one who graciously put us in touch mm-hmm. and i love this interview with sarah however we did end up having some technical issues uh which was Graham doing the dishes in the kitchen and then eating his dinner throughout the first 20 minutes or so of this interview. So folks, you might hear some like the kitchen faucet. And then Mm. later there's just Graham. (gasps) Yeah. Just Graham spearing food on his dinner plate. Um, So look, I just want to say, each one of these interviews is meant to be an experience. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. This one is this may this is an an, an immersive experience. Yeah. <laughs> All right, folks, you've been very patient with us. Without further ado, here now is the wonderful mm-hmm. and talented Sarah Levy. So, yeah, Graham, Graham was doing this, this play and it was like set in a subway shop or something. It was, it was set in like a subway sandwich shop. Uh, and, um, and it was a great little play. It was great. He was great. He was great. I'm biased, but I think he was the best. (laughs) I'm biased too, because I... (laughs) I like Graham. Graham is a buddy. I've known Graham for, I don't know, I, at least at least five, maybe ten years now. Um, Crazy. I want to say congratulations on your engagement. Thanks. Very exciting. And thanks so much. I don't. What I don't remember is, I, do, how did the both of you meet? So we met initially in an acting class at John Rosenfeld Studios. Oh, yeah. Right. Uh, and we crossed over very briefly, maybe two or three weeks. I left um, and he stayed. And then and he was in a relationship at the time. And I was not looking to date anybody in my acting class. So there was, <laughs> I don't think I was like, I don't even, that yeah. Whole, that was all a blur. That's a place and you don't want to go usually is dating in no, an acting class. Yeah. No, 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 no. And my mom, I just heard my mom's voice in the back of my head saying, do not date an actor. <laughs> that was like for both my brother and I, just the, that was like the bare minimum for her. It was like, just don't do it. It doesn't right. work. It's not, you can't have two actors in a relationship. Right. Um, and then about two years later, our mutual friends that we both met through, uh, the same acting class set us up and we went for a, a coffee date and uh and here we are holy moly later and yeah. going great yeah well my wife and i were both actors too we went we went to the same acting school oh no way for, is that where you co- went 
for college. We knew of each other. I had seen gotcha. her around. I'd seen her around in 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 the hallways of acting school, and mm-hmm. but we weren't in the same classes. I was struck by her and she then she but I didn't know her and I never met her until and then I did a show my senior year a big musical and had the lead in this show and she came and liked the show a lot and wanted to go say hi to me but it was the day that like 28 or 30 members of of my family were there to say hi so of course we knew of each other and it wasn't until we had moved to LA that we started um crossing paths and uh yeah, but the it's funny because it, I the thing about like the two actors is it's fraught. Yes. <laughs> so I think from her experience, it was like it's hard enough being in a relationship with just one actor, let alone two that are just trying to just stumble their way through life. Um, yeah. But luckily, I I you know I'm with somebody who's a very stable person. And I'm sure as yeah, are you, I would, so it's it's good. Yeah, Graham is solid as a rock. I, yes. I, I yeah. Um, so what? But I will ask: Did he was he nervous to meet your family? I think sure. I think we were both nervous to meet each other's parents. Um, <laughs> we. I think I met he met my parents before I met his because my parents live in L.A. and so it was. Um, we didn't kind of have to wait until they flew in from out of town like his parents mm-hmm. uh so yeah i think there were you know there were let's just say they're they ordered some wine my dad Good. ordered a glass of wine S- smart at lunch <laughs> just at lunch just to break the, <laughs> just to break the ice kind of just take the chill off a little bit um, but it went perfectly better than i could have even imagined that's great that's so great to hear um yeah. all right so so you are a SAG nominated actor for outstanding performance by a cast in a comedy series for your work playing Twyla Sands in the smash streaming hit Shit's <laughs> Creek. Uh, Shit's Creek won a record breaking nine Emmys, two Golden Globes, multiple GLAAD awards, every Canadian Screen Award, and holds the yeah. Guinness. It holds the Guinness World Record for the first comedy series to win all four acting uh, Emmy awards. It it's cracked. So wild. It cracked the Nielsen ratings top ten list of streamed series in a single week. It streamed a total of eight hundred thirty nine million minutes, placing Stop. it as fifth highest streamed show. <laughs> I did not know those facts. I didn't either until I looked them up. That's insanity. Isn't that amazing? It's beyond anybody's wildest <laughs> thoughts or dreams or anything. Yeah. I mean, and it's, I mean, a huge congratulations for being Thank you. such a wonderful part of the show. And so the show was created by your brother and your dad. Um, where do they put all these awards? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I, well, it's funny because we, we had dinner actually last night um, at my brother's um, with Annie Murphy and, and Catherine. Oh, O'Hara and I mean Catherine who just like just cleaned up this year yeah. with every single award possible. I said to her, I was like, what so like what happens now? Where where are you putting all these things? Um she's like, I think they're still in boxes. But um you know, <laughs> it's I, I ask I ask my brother and my dad the very same thing. Like where where do you 
put them all. Daniel has an office that he, you know, has them kind of scattered around. Yeah. But I had heard with, with like, awards or any kind of trophies super superstitiously that you're supposed to keep them behind you um, in an office versus oh. in front of you so that you're constantly looking ahead. To the, to the future and not yes. the past. Yes, <laughs> which I thought was a really interesting thing or you're not just kind of, look, you know, looking at what was or an, an attainable whatever oh, that would, it is it, they would be right in front of me if i ever yeah. won any award it would sit in front of me that's it i'd be done i would retire i that that's all i need is just, the just one line award. them yeah. all up just right in front of you it's, it's something I, I don't even think about i don't even think about like ever winning an award but um but it's such an incredible thing and um you know so people have asked you this before but you know so it's such a, I mean, it's such a sweet and funny show. And, uh, but to to get that kind of, to capture the hearts and attention of that amount of people, where did it start? It started on something called Pop TV. Yeah. So it started initially on, um, initially on CBC, which is, oh, uh, yeah. which is a Canadian company. Right. Uh, and, and Pop co-produced it essentially um and pop tv was had just been rebranded pop from tv guide network okay all right so it was under like the cbs viacom like umbrella and it became pop tv and they didn't really have much content on it besides like old reruns of 90210 and like melrose place they had all that kind of juicy early 90s tv and then us, and it it initially went to Pop because Brad Schwartz, who was running Pop at the time, worked with Daniel when Daniel was a host on MTV Canada. Oh right, yeah, I know that about him. Right, yeah, interesting. Yeah, which it all kind of came together because Brad obviously had known Daniel and worked with him and 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 knew you know what he was capable of, and that's I really I think how it ultimately landed at at pop but it ever was like what is pop where do i find it initially when the show first came on the air yeah where did so when, with the cbc uh i'm assuming that's a little bit like the bbc in the uk yes is it publicly funded at all it that's an excellent question i i could answer it it might be a lie so <laughs> i want to say no Okay. It's not like PBS or anything. It's, right, um, right. I don't think it's publicly funded. It's All like, right. I'm maybe somebody curious. will write it. <laughs> yeah, I'm wrong. Um, so the the last Emmy Awards uh, were taking place during this horrible pandemic, and yeah. uh, but there was this. You, you had this fantastic viral moment oh that, Gra that Graham captured on his phone and it was a supercut of you celebrating watching your whole family on TV win all these awards it's the most <laughs> he heartwarming video if anybody hasn't seen it go google it um, so they they were able to be so together wild. in the same location in Canada on the, yeah. on the night hugging each other uh, what a wonderful scene I am curious and I'm sure you've talked about this why, why couldn't you be there that night so I was I was in about to start production on my new show, which uh, and I was in Newfoundland and right. 
Uh, we started on the the Emmys were on Sunday, and I started on the Monday. And um, because Newfoundland was was in its own kind of quarantine bubble, so even if you were coming from Toronto, you still had to quarantine fourteen days to get into the Maritimes. Okay. So even if I wanted to kind of fly and then fly back that night or whatever, what it just never would have worked because I you know, the, the whole quarantine thing. Right. So it was, a, it was definitely a bummer in that I, I, you know, of course wanted to be there, but I don't think anybody expected the night to take the turn that it did. So I think I was like, <laughs> well, across my fingers, I'm sure Catherine will get something and, you know, may, yeah. maybe there will be another award somewhere. But like the fact that they did all the comedy awards all together, something they've never done before, it was just like one after another after another. And I, I couldn't, I was having an out of body experience where I just, I just kept screaming and saying, Oh my God. Uh, and jumping up and down to the point where I was like, I have to stop because I have to actually go to work tomorrow and I'm not going to have a voice. A voice, right. <laughs> this is not good. Um, but it was, it was such an incredible moment. And at least I was there experiencing with Graham and, yeah. And, um, but it was, I mean, I just kept FaceTiming. That's all I kept doing was just like FaceTiming after award, after award, after award. Cause it was, it was just surreal. It was completely surreal. What a wonderful, what a wonderful moment caught on, on Dave. Um, <laughs> it's just so great. So, um, so Twyla Sands is the sweet and lovable owner of, is it, it's cafe. Is it Tropicale or Tropicale? Tropical, yeah, Cafe Tropical, right. yeah, yes. And uh, and we find out that Twyla has a dad in prison, and her mother is a multiple divorcee. Oh yeah, there. Her Twyla's family history is I honestly don't even. There's so much there that I don't even remember. Like I don't even know her. Yeah, her dad's in prison. Her mom's, you know, a kind of a degenerate. Even though she, you know, holds her mom with such, um, in such high regard. Uh, you know, her uncle has lost three fingers. There's right. an, there's everything is just the backstories they came up with. I can't I can't even keep track of. So she's she's kind of quite different from her uh, family, and she, you know, um, I yeah. I wonder also like so she, she's also opposite of the Rose family. Yes. So I'm you know I was a little curious like you, you know I know you all you you share with your family an incredible sense of humor. Do you ever, is there anything that you feel opposite about in ter- uh, with your own family? Good question. Was that part of the genesis of the character when they're like, no. well, for Sarah, she's always been like this different, a little bit different. So we'll make her character that. You know, no one's ever asked me that question before. No, that wasn't the origin of, of the character. And I don't, yeah. I think we're all, we all do have very similar senses of humor. I think my, my mom and my dad um, are both extremely funny. And I think yeah. they're like the amalgamation of, of both of their senses of humor kind of infused into my brother and I, and I think he and I have more of a, a similar sense of humor than, than 
he, Daniel and my dad per se, like okay. their, their, their yeah. senses of comedy are, um, very different. Yeah. Which well, is inf- interesting. Informed in part by their generations, I would imagine. Completely, completely. Yeah. And, um, and what Daniel finds funny, you know, a lot of the time they would have very differing opinions on the way of certain lines should be said or what what they think is funny about it. it they were um, considering they did the entire show together and, and worked on it from start to finish. I'm, I'm surprised it, it kind of came together so well, considering they, they generally had, and like you said, generational thing. Yeah. Very different, you know, senses of humor. That's really interesting to hear because I think some of the feedback that I've heard, um, I don't know if it's from other cast, if it was from your brother or something, is it like, and I know that this is true, like everybody got along amazingly and like Mm -hmm. everybody brought their A game and worked so hard for each other, but it is kind of cool to hear that it was, that there were discussions about things where, you know, sensibilities would, would, uh, would be slightly different. And I mean, in the best case scenario, I, I, I would imagine that just brings out some of the best imagination and choices completely i think that was i think that's why the show was so successful because it wasn't just one point of view it was it was you know a bunch of things especially in the writer's room too there was you know the the age range was a pretty big span and then you have Catherine. Uh, O'Hara, who also had great input into her own character, and right. so you have her mind as well, and it just like it all kind of infused into this into this blend, which I think is why um, it's it it's multi generational in in its success because there's something for everybody. Yeah, there really is. Um... How much, because I know that like in a lot of the past projects that uh, like, for example, your dad did with Christopher Guest and, Mm -hmm. you know, that amazing group of people, there would be the similar to a show like Curb Your Enthusiasm that you would have a kind of an outline and you would know your character. And then and then there would be a lot of like, what if questions that would get answered. So when it came to, did you were you participating in that as well? Like for your character, did did any of these little um uh, backstory truths about Twyla. Did that come from your input or how much no. of that was going on with each performer? That was pretty much besides Catherine, that was, it was, it was all the writers. And I had a, uh, a sit down with my dad uh, before we started shooting. Was it even just the pilot presentation? It was just one time. Hmm. And, we kind of sat down and went over what, you know, who this character might be, but just even from the pilot presentation to the actual show, uh, it was a completely different character. So I hmm. personally, I kind of enjoyed leaving it all up to the writers and, and having no input because I, I really enjoyed just showing up as an actor for hire and, and seeing where, um, where the scripts were going and you were in great hands very very good hands and and as you said with the with the with the movies that dad did with Christopher Guest from my understanding and everything that I've learned about the creation of those movies and how uh they were crafted 
there really was just, you know, an outline and a very, very, very detailed character description character, and backstory yeah. and the Bible was all there, but but there were no lines. There was no real script. It was just certain information that had to come out at some point during a scene and how right. how that came out was up to the actors to decide. And uh, which is terrifying to me. Like, I don't think that I would thrive in that environment at all. That's left up to the, you know, very, very skilled improvisers. Um, but with Schitt's Creek, it was all scripted right down to, okay. you know, the last word. Um, and then we could kind of play around within that. But the writing was just so good. Yeah. The, the stuff yeah. of it. Um, did you study improv? I did. So I, I majored in theater in university right. and then I went into second city, uh, and I did oh, really? one of their classes just, uh, in Toronto. In the Toronto school. Okay. Yes. And I started there and then I moved to LA and then I did UCB in LA. Right. But I never really went through the stages. Like I would do a class, um, uh, uh, I guess they have different levels, right? So I would do like the first <laughs> yeah, level, levels, move yeah. to the, yeah. <laughs> move like, to the like, second. Like Scientology. Like Scientology, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, but I never went clear. Right. I only made it to the... Uh, <laughs> to the, the I uh, tried, I tried. I, I, you know, I went through all the... The classes I use it as a way of sharpening my skills as a performer and as, as a writer, but the totally. I wasn't great at that thing. I got a kind of an intellectual vertigo. Uh, yeah, from it, doing it, it. it's it's cha- it's really challenging, and especially in the in the first um, in the first level, um, a lot of the people in it are you know people that are in business and they're. Yeah. You know, company wants them to loosen up a little bit. So they're, right. they're like, we're, you know, you're all kind of doing it for different reasons. Um, but I never, as much as my dad just attributes most of his um, training to his, his time at Second City and being on mm-hmm. stage, it's, it's such a curve that, you know, no, you don't get unless you go through that process. But it's, um, it just wasn't, I wish it was for me and I, and, and maybe it's something to like revisit. Maybe it just scares me too much. Ultimately, if I look deep, dark into my brain, uh, but I never, I never really wanted to continue with it. Yeah. I just, I just went to acting classes instead. Acting classes are great. I mean, I think that, you know, there was it, what was interesting is that there was a period of time when um, things like getting into the actor's studio, people would be auditioning over and over. I mean, I think there yeah. was a story that Harvey Keitel had auditioned maybe some like nine or maybe even 14 times before he got accepted into Gosh. the actor's studio. And this was the way that you could at least be seen and start to be part of a, a community of people that were working. And, you know, I think with the rise of Second City Chicago and then Toronto and this started something coming out of the Viola Spolin and Paul Sills and that Mm -hmm. improvisational work. This was a 
it, it was a sort of a n- new approach to theater games that then ended up having all of these wonderful applications to TV writing and things like that as well. I'm, I'm in totally. awe of all of those people. I, you know, I think that when I think back on it now, I think maybe something like a second city or a groundlings where it is more character based, yeah. uh, would have dovetailed a little bit better with my, uh, acting training. But I, so I, I'm sort of in that camp with you. I, I, yeah. I know what you mean. It's, 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 I mean, the character work, it just look, just, just from, you know, growing up with my dad, but also working with Catherine is, is unparalleled. I mean, the, the, the character work that you do in, in Second City and, you know, what they've learned is like seeing what she comes up with. Yeah. Is just, insane like i don't use of imagination is incredible. oh my gosh i don't know how to me the when i'm when i have two when i have two broad uh what's that how am i trying to put this parameters when there are exactly when there are no parameters i almost panic a little bit i thrive in in more structure um i don't i i I kind yeah. of get paralyzed with fear of like, if I could do anything, what, like, what do I do then? <laughs> Somebody <laughs> needs to just like, give me a guideline. Well, and I think so many of these characters end up being yeah. like people who have these in- weird aunts and uncles and things like that. And yeah, my family wasn't really like that. Like my family is pretty, they're pretty, um, I don't know, norm, norm core. Same, same. Yeah. Yeah. On yeah. both sides of my, both sides. Is that true about like both your your mom and your dad? I mean, your dad he can play these very eccentric characters, but is he in his real life? Is he a little bit just kind of normcore? Yes, um, I think people are. He's hilarious, and you know, just as as funny off screen as he is on. But I, it yeah. is one of the things that people are surprised by when they meet him is that he's not on. Right. Um, and I thank think, God. How exhausting. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, right. And that, and, For and anybody, I, I don't, yeah. I don't know what people expect when they meet him, which is why I'm always surprised when they, when they're surprised. I'm like, he's not going to, you know, get up and do a bit. Like he's, he's, he's <laughs> literally sitting and having lunch right now. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's very, very normal. Grew up in a very normal house with a, close family parents together um, yeah well adjusted in ontario yeah very well adjusted there's there's no real deep sadness in there good good to know folks keep that in mind out there you don't yes you don't don't go looking for drama in order in order to do drama you don't have to necessarily no you don't you don't he's the perfect example so uh, you were talking about, and I knew that your, your brother was doing some hosting up in Canada. You were here in L.A. auditioning. How was it going before uh, Schitt's Creek? It was, uh, you know, tough. It was, it, was, yeah. it was just trying to get be seen. It was, um, yeah, trying to get in a room and get a job. And especially when you're brand new, uh, the, the, the whole LA scene is just so big and so mm-hmm. intense. And I was just trying to do the best I can. So I'd get little jobs here and there. I was working at a restaurant and, um, and 
living the uh, struggling actor's life <laughs> in my little apartment. And, you know, it's considering it took Schitt's Creek, I don't know, what, five years really to, to catch on in the States. Um, and is that was... because, is that in part because it like, that's when it started showing up on Netflix? Was that the thing that really turned it? Yeah, Netflix, yeah. Um, Netflix definitely uh, turned it. It was, you know, everyone's looking for something to binge and not everyone had pop because right. it was only on, you know, it wasn't I don't on even certain know, yeah. cable. Like, so that's where people sort of started to discover it. And, uh, you know, everyone's looking for something to binge. So it just, we started seeing it more and more through different you know, actors that that were watching it and and kind of promoting it or saying they they found this in you know, a little Canadian show and we're like, wait, so and so and so watches it, so and so watches it, and slowly but surely it it kind of caught fire. Uh, and I think, I mean, it was already became became pretty successful before the pandemic, but if 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 the pandemic could have pushed it over the edge mm-hmm. it yeah it very much did everyone was like looking for a a, a soft place to fall during that <laughs> during that period of time and and that seemed to be it well it was the perfect show i mean the the it's such a breath of fresh air in our current uh world in the way that yeah. i mean there's to, to to see a this incredibly rich family humbled and <laughs> Yeah, that's really refreshing. And then to see, you know, townies just just tickle like like eat away at them with their small little comments, and it's deeply (laughs) cathartic. And then and then for these characters to have such you know to 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 discover those moments where they have uh, a heart underneath everything is not an easy thing to pull off, and is is done so 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 well here. and uh well let me ask so you talked a little bit about studying theater in college um uh, up in canada did you i had i did have a question for you did you ever watch the canadian series um slings and arrows i never actually watched it but it was a you know very successful canadian show it was rachel mcadams and um Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, I think it was like a little before my time in terms of like something that I would have been interested in at the time. But it's funny you bring that up because it it's something that I had thought about not too long ago. I was like, I should go revisit that. It is really good. It's a story about a, um, a summer stock theater that does i think they focus on shakespeare uh up in canada and yeah it was rachel mcadams first big gig and a lot of other great actors and um uh it's really sweet it's got a great combination of some of the same things like great heart and it's very funny and um it's one of those things that it's like for for folks who love theater um they can kind of uh, geek out over it. Yeah, it's a, it's a de- it's delightful. Did you do? Were you doing a lot of? Um, you were doing theater in college. Did you do some professional theater? Did you start in community theater? So we we sort of weren't allowed to do anything professionally uh, while you were in college. Well, we were in 
Yeah, well, even in high school, I think both Daniel and I knew that uh, performing was something that we were going to be doing at some point, acting. Um, and I think it freaked my mom out a little bit um, because she had seen firsthand what, you know, what a journey uh, that life is. And was she just like, had she, she'd just been through it. Huh? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, and, and luckily for, for my parents, it, it worked out for my dad, but it, you know, we arrived after some of the the real kind of struggles happened. So right, we right. kind of appeared in, in the part of my dad's career where he had, you know, he had already won two Emmys and he was, you know, had made a name for himself and all of that. And, and my mom just kept saying like, you know, when we'd visit him at work and we'd be sitting in his trailer and people are coming to the door being like, you know, Mr. Levy, can I get you anything? And she's like, this is not <laughs> what it is, just so right. you know. Like, this is not right. what it's going to be for you for a very <laughs> long time. Right. And, uh, and she just, she wanted to make sure we were, you know, we had really explored all avenues of life and different jobs before we settled on this. So I didn't do anything professionally theater or film until I finished university. And I, I went through, I did, we did tons of extracurricular stuff and I did plays in high school and then obviously plays, um, in college. Um, but yeah, my first job was, was after that. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Did you, um, so people often ask about your dad and, uh, you know, I, the one thing I'd like to know a little bit more about is, um, is this famous production of Godspell that he was part of in 1972. It was starred Martin Short, Gilda Radner, Andrea Martin, Jane Eastwood and Victor Garber and, and others, Dave Thomas, maybe. Yes. And musical director, Paul Schaefer. Yes. Uh, one article called it the big Canadian moment that changed American comedy. I don't know if I love that title, but it's a wow. certainly was it this big moment. Um, yeah. Do, can you talk a little bit about like what you know? Do you know anything? I mean, I'm sure you know some stuff about this production. You might not know the full yeah. story, it's, but yeah, it. I mean that that production to me is is like one of when you think about people in a in you know lightning in a bottle at different moments in time in history like these really amazing things happen that being one of them and my dad and marty actually knew each other from university went to school together and right. yeah um you know marty short being who we all know and love is who he is, is like was kind of bouncing off the walls back then as well from, yeah. from what I gathered from my parents. Yeah. Um, so my dad was in, in Toronto auditioning, you know, had, so had this audition for Godspell and said, you should come down here and you should audition. And sure enough, uh, they both got the part. Um, and yeah, along with Gilda, uh, Radner and Andrea and yeah, Dave Thomas, um, Victor, it just like such an incredible group of people that's that stayed friends right through until to this day. Um, they're all very close and it's, I mean, I just am blown away by the fact that it was such an, um, just such a talented group of people 
in one show that went on to just become, you know, all these people became kind of icons in their own right. Yeah. Um, and Stephen Schwartz. Uh, yeah, that's right. You know, from Pip, you know, Pippin and Wicked, Wicked and, and right. And all I think stuff. he was, was. I think he was like twenty five at the time. I, I heard think so. I heard Martin Marty Short Martin Short talking about. Um, I don't know. I can't remember how Paul Schaefer got there, but he was. He was in the theater banging away on a piano, and yeah, Stephen Schwartz he, like he fired the musical director. He went up to Paul Schaefer and was like, "If you can do that for me, I'm gonna." be my music i'll give you you can be the musical director i'm gonna fire this other guy yeah yeah he came to accompany a friend of his and i'm not sure whether it was anybody in the cast or whether it was somebody random but um but yeah kind of you know sat down and played and of course he's such an incredible he's such an incredible musician that it's no surprise that 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 happened but um but the fact that that they, it, I just love that they've all remained close friends to this day. And Marty, you know, ended up dating Gilda Radner after that, right? For a few years, and um, they all like, and, and they're all kind of intertwined. Like Marty's wife, who became his wife Nancy, uh, was an understudy in Godspell. Oh my god! And and her brother married andrea martin oh my and so God. it all it was all <laughs> like everyone is essentially you know family at at one point or another they they everyone was kind of intertwined so marty's kids and andrea's kids are cousins amazing yeah i know you were too young to know gilda radner right yes yes she probably met you or yeah, not. She, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And and the funny thing with that is that Gilda and my let me break this down clearly. So my dad's brother um married a woman, my my who is now my aunt, who is best friends with Gilda growing up. So not only was okay. there like this this stuff with, you know, with Marty, but then it was but then we had an actual familial connection because she was my aunt Judy's best friend right growing up so uh so she was you know a very close friend of of everybody's that seemed like in, in my yeah. parents lives yeah do you when you were so you know when you're growing up and it's all of these comedy icons who are swirling through your life and like in, in i've heard in some cases living next door and do you yeah. realize at a certain point that like your dinner parties, like people are, this is different than other, like <laughs> everybody tries to be funny at the dinner table, but at your dinner table, like people, are they just, people just falling out of chairs constantly? It is. It's something that I think that I really realized when I started becoming, you know, prof acting professionally myself and, uh, and in my, kind of my early to mid twenties, how very unique my situation was. And, you know, when you're a kid growing up, you just think, well, these are my parents' friends and you don't know their body of work. Like, you know, they're an actor, but my dad was an actor. So you're like, okay, well, they go off to work and 
they do a job and they come back like that part wasn't um that that part was just normal for us uh because it was you know kind of the the family business but but especially even now to look at how lucky we were to be able to grow up around these incredibly talented people and just through osmosis learn about humor and timing mm. and, and beats and, and moments and, and just even in stories that were told around the dinner table, uh, how it really affected our um, comedy and our sense of humor and the amount that I... I realized that I have learned just through knowing all of these incredible, I mean, Marty Short and Catherine O'Hara and Andrea Martin, who's one of the funniest, yeah. like, oh my gosh, <laughs> just genius, funniest, funniest women I've ever met in my life. Mm -hmm. um, incredibly talented people. And uh Every year that goes by, I feel more, more and more grateful to have, have kind of grown up in that environment because it's, it's just so special. Special. Yeah. yeah. Now I know that sure. you're, you're a big fan of, uh, you've, you've said in terms of like your, your, your dad's movies, you're a big fan of waiting for Guffman, mm -hmm. um, for anybody out there, because there are these new generations coming up now. <laughs> the Gen Z's. Yeah, the, <laughs> if you, this is this that's one of my favorite movies. Period. I mean, it's perhaps the greatest comedic love letter. It's a community theater. Um, um and I know that so you good. you're you're a fan of your dad's movie. Serendipity is the. Oh yes, <laughs> I heard you yes. say in another interview. <laughs> yes, which I remember vaguely. Um, I don't. I, so I I'm curious. Is it um. You're a big fan of rom-coms? Oh, I love a good rom-com. And, I mean, the, the interesting thing, about, I, first of all, John Cusack, I just, I just, I will watch anything he does. Yeah, he's a, he's great movies, yeah. Just exceptional. But Serendipity had come out right, unfortunately, right after 9-11. And right, so right. I think it, the true joy of what that, that movie is and how kind of magical it is of course got overshadowed like so many really wonderful projects due to you know, you know such a you know huge moment in our history so uh it it goes underrated i would say i think it would have been a much bigger success uh had that not have happened but it's it's one of the most beautiful touching funny rom-coms that exists i gotta go back oh. i remember i remember the 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 store mm -hmm. serendipity or the restaurant yes. serendipity because yeah. i remember seeing that movie and then i i was living in new york at the time and i so then i went to to the place sure um i don't remember if it was on a date or i went with a or a friend or i can't remember but they they have some of these amazing. Uh, I don't know if it even still exists, but they have these amazing like exists. ice cream sundays and things like that. These so, like frozen hot chocolates they were famous for. These basically just you know a bunch of chocolate ice cream that was like blended to chocolate milkshake essentially. But it was um, 
incredible. And yes, it is it is such a good movie and and dad is so bizarre in it. I mean, his character is like he plays characters with screws loose very well. Mm-hmm. And uh and this person is very odd and very 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 funny. I will say that objectively. It is it is a great performance. Um uh, do you think? What do you think about rom coms right now? Do you think we're in a revival period? Do you think that there's is there too much cynicism these days for a good rom a classic a new classic? That's, that's a great question. I mean, I just watched um, How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days was on not too long ago. A, a fan by, favorite. Yeah. Oh, so good. Um, <laughs> it it it's uh, that was followed by Sweet Home Alabama, another you know oh, yeah. rom com in the early two thousands. I'm I so miss that period of time. It it was just like this innocence where the these romantic comedies lived and and everyone you just kind of gave the movie a pass even though it the odds of that ever happening were slim to none. Um but there's something to be said about just wanting to feel good. And I think it's part of the reason why Shit's Creek, you know, mm really became what it was because you knew at its core that nothing bad was really going to happen. You're not going to see somebody like get hit by a car and die or, you know, a a huge, you know, bad breakup. Really, you know, at the end of the day that everything's going to be okay. And I think, I think we're missing that right now. I think we just need some more of that in our lives. And I, I think, think that they're making a resurgence rom-coms from I what i so. hear yeah it's a ray and it's... uh kumail nanjani did a, yeah. a, a, a great one and yeah there still seems to be like a need for some kind of a hook like an action hook or something um, i know i know i mean it's like to sell we need the damn Kate thing. hudson back here we need her back in a rom-com <laughs> i hear jennifer lopez is back doing rom-coms like i I hope the nostalgia of that of that time period finds its way back to us. So now you're working, like you said, you're working on a new. Uh, it's a sci-fi series. It's a comedy horror. Would you? Is it comedy horror? It's a comedy horror. Yeah, it's it's. I would say it leans more drama than comedy, but there are definitely some um, you know light moments in it for sure. So this is it's called Sur- Surreal Estate. Yes. And, and it follows a company of real estate agents who sell houses that have paranormal activity, which is a yes. great concept. Um, yes. And it also stars Tim Rozon. Am I saying his yeah. last name correctly? Yes. Yes. Uh, another great cast member from Schitt's Creek. Uh, sure. Can you talk a little bit about the this this series? Yeah, it's um it we shot it last last year in Newfoundland and it um yeah basically follows this this real estate agent um played by Tim uh a guy named Luke Roman and he has this this agency that includes this team of specialists that um you know kind of uh s- specialize in the 
metaphysically engaged properties. <laughs> uh, and they all, you know, it's like a procedure. It's like a haunted procedural where everybody has their thing that they do really well and they come together as a team and essentially ghost bust uh, houses cool. that, that are haunted. And it's a, it's a really fun show and it's such a, such a nice departure from um, Schitt's Creek and, and the character of Twyla. Um, they're, it's Susan Ireland, who I play in Surreal Estate, is such a different, such a different person. And it, it felt very refreshing. I was hoping to find um, something completely different after Schitt's Creek ended. And, and this just sort of really fell into place. Yeah, that's exciting. And the um, Tim Tim Rosan, where did this where did this guy come from? I mean, he's a he's a he, you know he's a wonderful. I, I think this way about every every single person on Shit's Creek. I go like, where did they find mm-hmm. this incredible mm-hmm. person? Um, mm-hmm. What about what about him? Where did what was his background? Tim has been working in Canada forever. Um, ah. on Canadian television and then got into sci-fi, the network sci-fi and has been on a few shows, um, over the past, uh, he just finished a show called Winona Earp, um, on mm, sci-fi right. and had done a, a show, uh, before that called Lost Girl that was running for four or five years. And so he had been, you know, he's like beloved in Canadian television, uh, and, and, but, but Schitt's Creek was the first time that I had met him or even known about him. Um, so he was, he's just such, he's such an incredible find and he's, he's so good in this show. I mean, this he's show, good at everything yeah. he does, but he's like, he's perfect for this part. Um, so before we go, I do want to, I want to plug your fiance cause he, he helped put this interview together and I he so did. appreciate it. I, I how, what's, what's Graham working on these days? Graham just finished a, a movie actually that his, his uh, good friend of his wrote and produced uh, called pretty problems. And uh, they shot it up in Northern California in Healdsburg about two hours outside of San Francisco. Uh, so he was doing that for about three weeks and now he is, you know, just back and, uh, Back in like the hustle. Like the rest of us. Just, yeah, yep. back in the hustle. Yeah. All right, great. Should we direct people where... To, I know people know where to find you. Should we direct people to where they can find Graham online? Let's do it. <laughs> I yeah. I want to help it's, him for uh, as a small thank you here. Absolutely. His... What is his Instagram? It's Instagram... Underscore? S-T-O. Okay. It doesn't make it go. easy for us to plug his Instagram. <laughs> But that is, I'm just confirming, uh, that is what his handle, let's see, Instagram underscore S-T-O. There you go, folks. That's where you can find him. Well, Sarah, this is this has been wonderful. You are wonderful. Um, Thank you. Thanks so much, so much for fun. making the time to chat with me. I know you're very busy. Oh, of course. My pleasure. I wish you congratulations again on your engagement and wishing you continued success, safety, and good health. Thank you so much. You too. You too. Well, there you have it. My conversation with Sarah Levy. A big thank you again to Sarah for doing it. I hope you all enjoyed it.
Before we move on to our second interview, I'm going to take another opportunity to ask you all to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you're getting your podcast from today. We've got more incredible interviews with Joe Tippett, Alicia Oxy, Pej Vidat, Noah Maxwell-Clark, Stephanie Black, Mapuana Makia, and Shelly Bala coming in the next few weeks. Remember to subscribe to our Patreon to get all our extras with Chris Pine, Melissa Fumero, Baron Vaughn, Chantal Tui, Patrick Adams, Kevin Avery, Jim O'Hare, and more. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash things are going great for me. And you can check out our link tree to get some of our merch. Our link tree is on our Instagram page at things are going great for me. If you like any of what you hear today, please give us those five-star ratings. Leave us a nice comment. We so appreciate all your ratings, reviews, and kind words, and we want to keep bringing you these great episodes. Next up is Madison Shepard. She talks about doing comedy after a pandemic, her podcast Wow Rude with comedian Danielle Perez, going to L.A. County High School for the Arts, and her experience studying acting at London's Royal Central School for Speech and Drama. Here now is the brilliant and hilarious Madison Shepard. So this is really exciting. Um, you know, we don't know each other, but I know I knew of you. And then uh, you started following us on our show's Instagram, which yeah. I was so honored that you did. You know, you're the second guest on this season that I've met because of this podcast, um, which is like one of the coolest results of doing this that I didn't even think about. It's just meeting extremely talented people. Um, and I started following you and now I know your brilliance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or my mental illness, you know. <laughs> well, we all, you. <laughs> we all dabble. <laughs> So first of all, I just want to say thank you for supporting us. And now thank you for coming on to help make this series actually good and funny. Yeah, I'm glad. I I forget. I think somebody else, I was looking at, I think, another acting podcast IG or some act. I was in an actor K-hole and then I found you and I was like, oh, yes, I'm going to. Yes. Okay. Support. Going to follow. Just hell yes to that. Uh, <laughs> So you are you are a comedian, a writer, and an actor. Um, but did you start out as a filmmaker? Yes, when I was very young, uh, I had a short film that I made with my middle school. That like we did it did some, it did the Panasonic like they had a youth filmmaking competition thing, and so. Yeah, so I, I was a part of that and got flown out to New York and did all the stuff. And then I, I later took that film and put it in some like some short film festivals and, and things like that. And like I moved out to Los Angeles with the intention to be like a filmmaker who like writes and directs and potentially acts in my stuff. But once I arrived here, I had an acting teacher at arts high uh, i went to la county high school for the arts loxa right they told me i had to pick a lane they were like pick a lane you can't do it all really so yeah so this was in the early aughts we had a different opinion about everything then yeah would you give yourself different advice at the time if you could yeah absolutely don't listen to the person don't listen to the octogenarian who's teaching at arts high in retirement <laughs> you know what i mean like he loves you but he doesn't know what he's talking about he um, so you're originally from, is it Oak Cliff, Texas? Yes. Uh, in Dallas. Yeah. It's a neighborhood. Did you, so you and, and, and you spent part of high school there. Is that right? 
Very briefly, I went to Booker T. Washington High School in Dallas, and then I uh, ended up at L.A. County High School for the Arts. Is it weird going to high school in L.A.? Yeah, very. I mean, you know, it's always fun to, like, see, you know, people who I went to high school with win Emmys and Grammys and, like, oh, yeah, that famous person i know their child (laughs) 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 it's it's kind of a mind fuck sometimes but ultimately good was there a vibe with la kids where they sort of feels like their life moves a little faster than what what the experience was like in texas yes uh well yes and in different ways so kids who want to like be in entertainment have a leg up if they're here yeah they just do because everyone around them uh, sometimes like their parents work in the industry. They are like child. A- like I went to high school with Corbin Blue, like when he was oh, yeah. making high school musical. Like, wow. So there w- that I would have never had been friends with him had I lived in Texas, you know. Um, on the other hand, kids in Texas grow up very, at least in my neighborhood because it's like the hood. So there's like uh some socioeconomic differences just off the bat, you know, with like race okay. and class and gender and, and sexuality and all that stuff. So in some ways, like the kids in Oak Cliff, like a lot of my friends who I like grew up with have like kids who were going into college and like, you know, <laughs> yeah. they're divorced. They're right. in their second marriage. They oh own God. homes. And I'm like, I have two dogs <laughs> yeah. who are used. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have my it's the friends of mine that are still living in New York that are none of them are married and I'm almost 40 and they are too and older and it, the, it's interesting because it's like it's not domestic at all in New York more a little mm-hmm. bit here I would say. Mm-hmm. So you, but you're married. So then and have you kids, went right? on to the oh. I'm Sorry. married and have kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I I, I decided to do it because um well, I, you know, I got lucky in love. And mm-hmm. then, um, <laughs> but then also, go on. <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. I'll try to keep that to a minimum. Um, but then I, so I'm an adopted person. And so it was a thing for me. It was much, it was really important to me to uh, start a family. So I, it does put a dent in my hustle, mm-hmm. but, um, but it was something that was, very important to me and um you know i don't know how things will shake out ultimately but if i end up just being a a boring dad at this point i think i'm i think i'm okay with that Mm -hmm. uh i wanted to ask you so then you went on to college is this right at the royal Mm -hmm. central school of speech and drama in london Mm -hmm. you know we actually have another guest from this season of the pod who graduated from that program oh my god really do i know them who is it you might uh, y- can you, you all, say y'all might be the same age? Yeah, his name is Noah Maxwell Clark. Huh, I don't know. He might be younger than me. I was only there for a year because I dropped out due to a number of issues, including them being like racist towards me and uh, you know, not helping my mental health and ultimately edging me out of the program. But whatever, you know. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, you know, I've I've t- also talked to another buddy. I went to high school over there uh, to an American school, which had rep- uh, represented, I think, 53 nationalities oh, when wow. I was in high school. But I do have another uh, 
person on this podcast, actually Patrick Adams, one of the first people I interviewed this season, and he went over there around uh, I think his middle school years, and he had trouble with the English, the culture over there as well. Yeah, and I'm sure in in different ways, but I was going to ask you about the culture over there. Um, it, I mean the the. The Brits, in my experience, I've spent a lot of time with more international students, but the Brits do have a little bit of a, like, you're not in the club. Yeah, it's almost like they're OG imperialists. Almost like they invented the shit. Yeah. Right. (laughs) What was it about going over there initially that was your thought? I mean, why not stay in L.A., go to one of, like, UCLA or go to a school in New York to study Mm -hmm. acting? Right. Well, I mean, okay. So first of all, I mean, I'm talking shit about the Brits, but I do love them. I think that people are good and systems are in place uh, that are made to oppress people and cause harm. Like, I don't think that education anywhere is actually very good. I think a lot of it is bad and it can be quite harmful to people who are, uh, you know, minorities uh, if they don't have the proper support, which often they don't. Right. So it's like if you're not if it's not set up for you to win, you're not going to win. You know, like it's just that's a fact. Um, not to say that you can't. I don't want to be negative. But like anyways. So the reason I chose to go to school there is I was doing a lot of work with independent Shakespeare here in L.A. And a lot of the British actors who were doing like Shakespeare in the park with me at that time. A lot of them went to Central. And so I was like, I was very much after high school, I was on this like journey to be like, do I still want to act? What do I want to do? How am I going to do this? I'm fat, I'm black. And like, I don't know if there's a, and this is the early aughts, you know, where we thought that Jessica Simpson was obese, (laughs) you know? So it was like, oh my God, you know what I mean? Like there was a, a huge, I remember I had an acting teacher tell me at the time, like Madison, your face is so gorgeous. You are so talented, but your body you're never going to get work unless you lose yeah, weight. Yeah, that sort of stuff you would hear I would hear about that happening to people constantly. Yeah, whether they were in college or when if they had a meeting with an agent or any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. That horrible poisonous shit. Also like, you know, don't have your arms out at auditions unless your arms are really cut. Like so much like weird body stuff. I was like, I didn't know I was supposed to be ashamed of my arms, that's, but I am That's now. good that's good <laughs> advice for me probably. Um, <laughs> nah. No, but Um, it was just like a different time. So I thought like to be like a serious, you know, undeniable actress, I needed to get the best possible training that was going to look the most impressive and uh, be the best. And the best actors I knew graduated from there. And but even then they were like, okay, Madison, we'll help. We'll like do your letter of reference. But okay, surely there's like some better options here. But I didn't. (laughs) even they were trying to talk me out of it i should i just wasn't very uh attuned to listening to other people at that time so well you're proving them all idiots and wrong but i think Mm -hmm. that well one thing uh, i'm curious about is do you take acting classes now when was the last time you took an acting class so the last time i took an acting class was like right before pandemic in fact my like class got canceled midway through because of the pandemic i was taking a a audition boot camp at stan kirsch studios here in hollywood okay yeah yeah Uh, i took a class over there yeah i like the classes a lot yeah yeah tragic story yeah i i was not i was you know post him passing but my friend was felt like he was a mentor and i don't know all of the details but 
I don't know the, all the details either, but I know that he he did very tragically take his own life. He was a, a, a I thought a brilliant teacher. I didn't spend much. I took one class over there. Mm-hmm. Um, the teaching over there was amazing. The, the folks who still teach for them are all great. Um, just a, that that was a sad story. Um, yeah. incredibly sad. Um, so you you have a podcast with yeah. another it, brilliant comedian, Danielle mm-hmm. Perez, and it's called yeah. Wow Rude. Yes, it is on hiatus for the moment because we are bad booked and busy. But uh, right. when we come back, it will be be back. <laughs> <laughs> and it started as an outside podcast. Is that what you b- yeah. both called it? Well, yeah, because we were like, we didn't, it, it was pandemic, uh, like height of lockdown. We didn't know what we were going to do. All of our shows, like, because we're stand-ups, I mean... Usually we both do like, you know, 200 spots in a year or something crazy. Like, yeah. we, you know, we were pretty active in, in the stand-up community here in L.A. Um, and all of our shows got canceled. So it's like we were having a crisis of faith and a crisis of identity. So we're like, okay, let's just like make noise for ourselves and start this podcast. We've been best friends for like almost 15 years or something. And I, let's just go. Let's do it. And so. Yeah. That's why we did it. And it did start were, outside. You you both ran a... Yeah, so I wanted to ask you about that. So it, you, I think you... Like, you you received a package from, like, the mail person like, on your first Oh, episode. yes. Like, <laughs> what, do, what do you do with an outside podcast? I mean, you're dealing with a lot more exterior noise, but I guess that's atmosphere, right? Yeah. And also, I mean, we didn't know what we were doing sound wise. So it, you know, was very spotty or hit or miss in those first couple of episodes because of that. But hey, it's better done than than perfect. It's better to get it out there, even if it's shitty, because you can always improve. Definitely. So and the you and Danielle both ran a comedy show for I think four years called gentrification. Yeah, we ran a diversity showcase out in uh, Northeast Los Angeles for about four years where we primarily focused on booking, um, you know, people of color, black folks, queer folks, women, trans and non-binary folks. And then we would have one kind of guest spot, diversity spot for straight white men. And so we did that for about four years to much success, frankly. I mean, it was a fun ass show. That sounds really fun. And you've both also been guests on NPR's Ask Me Another comedy series. Um, yes. You then, you were also featured years ago, I guess, in an NPR KPCC profile where they interviewed you about being a stand-up who was working a day job as a Lyft driver. Yeah. Listen, press is press. You know what I mean? <laughs> I thought it was a great read. I mean, that I, I imagine for a comic, there's just tons of great material that comes from driving drunk Angelinos around. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I I actually, I think I like, especially early in stand-up, I was so focused on, which is when I was, you know, primarily driving Lyft and also doing, doing stand-up. I think I was very focused on like giving the impression that I was doing better than I was. So I didn't necessarily talk about what my day job was, which was I very doing like, that. yeah, yeah, like very working class, very much like of my socioeconomic status. Like I'm not like, you know, whatever, but I wanted to give the impression to everyone else. So I, I probably don't, I don't think I have any jokes about being a Lyft driver because unless it's really going to be maybe, you know, Hey, maybe there might come a time where there's like a role or a TV show. That's like 
about Lyft drivers or taxi drivers or limo drivers or something. And then, you know, my reps could use that as like a pitch thing. Like, oh, yeah, here's this article that Madison did. She used to drive Lyft. Look, she has. I think it's a good pitch. Yeah. But I don't know how it's useful otherwise. (laughs) So so much of comedy, it seems like, is observing other people. Mm hmm. And just being like, why are you like that? <laughs> yeah. 100%. Um, I I love the bit of pretending that you're more famous than you are. I feel like that's been my entire career. That's yeah. the funniest joke. And if so, <laughs> and it doesn't work if you're famous, you know, like, so yeah. I, I, I love that bit. Um, it works until somebody else with more credits walks in the room. And then you're like, oh, right. I ain't shit. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there's plenty of feeling like that in yes. this town. Um, and so, and you also debuted a comedy EP uh, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago now called Goodnight Silver Lake Lounge in 2019. It's uh, it's really funny. I actually just bought it. I saw. Uh, because I want, to, I want to support you. Thank you. <laughs> and I recommend it to the listeners. You can find it, uh, Madison's EP, at her website, madisonshepherd.com. And, uh, and it's funny. I was listening to it... Uh, late last night like a creep on youtube and <laughs> it's free it's, there do it <laughs> it's it's free there um it's a half hour correct no no it's only oh, a it's, quarter hour oh okay it was but gonna be mm-hmm. yeah go for it I, it was gonna be like a longer project i was also hoping to do like my my big scheme was to do a 15 minute album 2019 2020 do a 30 minute album 2021 do an hour and just like kind of have a place it It came about because I was working with a late night booker who shall not be named, who uh, sort of strung me along for six months. And so I prepared like all this material and Mm. like ran the fuck out of the set and and ran myself. I was literally driving to San Diego to like try to get a tape like a couple times like um, a month to like try to like get a tape so that she could give it to production and the whole thing went tits up and I was like I need a stand-up credit and I I don't know how else to get this so I just decided to record produce edit and release my own album that's awesome the getting that is it the is it the clean five minutes that that you were Mm -hmm. sort of getting that clean five minutes in front of an audience where you're killing and, the and you do doesn't... a word perfect. You don't mess up the joke. Yeah. Everything is exactly, exactly. The timing's not off. The lighting's yeah. good. You can be heard. It's it's fucking impossible. It mm-hmm. feels like um, I'm not that funny, so that's why it's as so impossible for me. But um, yeah, that's incredibly frustrating. Well, good for you for doing that. And then, are you you're considering maybe doing a, a larger or a longer set? Same well, way. I mean, you know, the pandemic sort of changed everything for me. Uh, I don't know at this point. I think the thing that I'm looking for now would be, especially as like my sort of star rises, I guess you could say, yeah. would be getting like a showcase spot on, uh, you know, Netflix or getting a late night spot somewhere um, or, you know, put potentially getting a quarter hour or half hour. I mean, I, I just, I don't know what it's going to look like, but it, it might not be in my best interest in the coming years to like release my own material, depending on how, you know, depending on the jobs that, for, you know, come, come forward and happen and, and whatnot. So 
Yeah, I mean, there's something I feel this way a little bit with this podcast is that you kind of want somebody to jump in and be like, we back this person or this is, you know, you want a, a big company to to. I, I feel that pull sometimes. Um, I feel a little bit like you were feeling where I was. I just was like, I'm just going to do this anyway, because uh, I need to do something and, and have fun doing something. Um, you were, I think, also about to start headlining a comedy tour when when the pandemic really set in, um, how many, uh, how do you put together? I'm sorry about that, by the way. Oh, that's um, okay. I survived it. I'm okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how, how do you go about putting together a, uh, a headlining tour? Do you pick the cities? Do you reach out to people in different cities as you go? What is, how does it work? Well, I mean, especially at the time, I really didn't have any like real rural credits, you know, like I, I will be in a freeform show coming up, which might That's make right. it easier to like book some headlining spots. But for at least at that time, how I did it was I looked to see what are the like C and D rooms across America that like my friends had already done like comics I know had already done and uh, just reached out to those bookers, sent them my material and just, you know, kind of just lumped them all together. I, I started in Santa Cruz. I think I got one in San Diego, Dallas. I think I did some, some shows in Austin and um, just called it a, called it a tour and was like, well, any other shows I get that are headlining will be tagged onto this. I think I had a, at an Asheville, North Carolina date set up that got canceled. So it's really just, you know, hope for the best. Hope that you have enough, like what you do have is enough for somebody to be like, yeah, I'll let you do like 45 minutes at my club. You know, name nobody come. <laughs> do you have, how much material do you, can you do? Can you do a, an hour? Can you do an hour and a half? I would feel comfortable around 45 minutes to an hour. I'm still trying to build that muscle, which is like why I wanted to do that. So I could start kind of making that happen and like put together a cohesive hour, which is a whole fucking, it's a thing and it's a skill and you have to, the only way to figure it out is to do it. So and you have like the you have like the right it would seem to me like the right background in terms of your training to do an hour show because like you understand it always occurs to me anyway coming from more from an acting background that there it's you're you're doing a ver, a version of theater it feels like to me with an 100%. hour show right 100% it's no different than doing i remember when i first started stand up i was like man i don't know how i'm going to remember all this material and i had uh, a mentor at the time tell me she's like but y you've done hella checkoffs you've you've been in <laughs> i played dido and dido queen of carthage you know i've mm -hmm, i've taken mm -hmm. these huge masses of text and like performed them multiple times a night for a series of weeks like surely i can remember you know unprompted an hour of material by myself I've done yeah. it before. So when I sort of like switched my mind about it, I was like, yeah, I've done this. I just need to figure out the rehearsal is the doing. Right. So I find right. out the timing. I find out the like blocking, quote unquote, the, you know, the asides, the all of it. I find that out just by doing it. But. Yeah. And you're a great performer. And I think, you know, w that's one of the things that took me a while to figure out, which is so strange, is that just because you're on a different stage doesn't mean that like you go up and just say your jokes you have to 
you have to perform them. You have to mm-hmm. do the act outs. You have to use your expressiveness to 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 sell the sell the bits, right? Yeah, one hundred percent. And I think um, that's it's one of the reasons I love stand up so much is because it does marry my like need to tell stories and write, but also perform. Yeah. And you, you, know. re- you recently, I think, did the Laughing Skull Festival. Uh, oh, I was just there. I was yeah. just in Atlanta doing spots. Uh, yeah, I was shooting there. Oh, you were. What do you mean? You were just passing through? Yeah, because I was. I was filming for that freeform show I'm on, uh, Single Drunk Female. So I just did a bunch of spots while I was there. Oh, gotcha. Oh, cool. Yes. I guess I'm, my <laughs> question was going to be, um, did you? It was that some of your first performing back live. Yeah, it was like I remember um, I haven't really done stand up in a year and a half, (laughs) which is uh, a lot of time to not do the thing that I was doing nightly for like six or seven years. Um, So coming to Atlanta. But here's the thing, like Atlanta's like open. They really didn't shut for that long. So they had like full packed audiences. It felt like so good. And so scary because it's a pandemic to be like performing in front of groups of people live. But I remember I did um, my first spot. It was like it didn't go well. It was like at a outdoor. Excuse me. My first spot coming back was like at an outdoor uh, park in a parking lot somewhere. (laughs) I bombed. I bombed it. I was late and I like just walked from the car onto stage and I was like, great. I'm glad I'm here to do this um and then like my second spot was doing 20 minutes which after not doing stand-up live but doing it on zoom or whatever i mean i have the material but to to suddenly have to like flex the muscle of remembering the order of these jokes like after not doing them i hadn't done that much time in like almost you know two years at that point so it was a lot but I, i overcame it by the end i mean you know my most recent tape I got at Laughing Skull and I think it like shows that I'm like easy breezy having a good time up there, you know? It's a great set. I loved it. Yeah. Um, so Comedy Central has called you a comic to watch. You've mm-hmm. also written for the 72nd Primetime Emmys. Yes. Um, and and you wrote for Chris Rock as well. Doing is Was that a job where you were doing punch-up? Yeah, yeah. It was a punch-up for a, a new project he was working on. It was um, him and his like uh, writing partner, somebody who he always works with, Aisha Carr, and it was crazy fun, but yeah. also you know intimidating. <laughs> yeah. So like, I don't know really how punch up. Like, I don't know how it really goes. Is it just? Is it a bunch of comics sitting in a room with the celebrity, a celebrity comedian, and then just pitching jokes and tags? Yeah. So what we did. So they already had the script written, and so we at least in the room I was in I can't speak for all rooms because they're all a little bit different but essentially we went page by page of the script and it was like does anybody have any any jokes for this and uh, you know everyone would go around the room trying to give their like best hardest jokes and like sometimes it's like I don't have one like or it's like (laughs) oh shit that's I'm not gonna say it because it's it's not as good as this other very brilliant (laughs) person who I respect and oh my god uh but occasionally it's like I got one big ass belly laugh from Chris Rock and it's like, fuck it. I can die happy. Like it's the best. He approved of me in that one moment. So we'll take it. <laughs> that's that's so rad. Um, 
So do you, oh, and so I wanted to ask you a little bit about the series, uh, Single Drunk Female. This is mm-hmm. a, it's a, is it Jenny Connor executive produced series? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and, she's the showrunner. And could you talk a little bit about, what can you say about the series so far without giving away important information? Yeah. Or, or whatever, confidential yeah, so, info. So, you know, preface by, I have had zero media training on what I am supposed to say because it is not <laughs> near the time of the premiere. But, you know, again, here's the thing with acting or comedy. Like, from the from the day I shoot, that becomes a new credit, and I will fucking talk about it. It's like, <laughs> it's part of my pitch for, like, shows, like, when I'm trying to get book stand-up shows. Or, yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah, no, I'm on this show, and it's like, we, it's not even out. There's not even a deadline about it, but I'm like, yeah, I'm, you know, whatever. Um, so, you know, th- there's that. But, so this show is about a young woman who, after many years of drinking, ends her drinking career, and tries to get sober after like a series of like kind of fucked up events that sort of led her to to the place of like wow I really just have to get sober I don't have a choice and I play uh the lead girl um Sophia Black D'Elia uh I play her parole officer so oh wow that's fantastic yeah um and you don't know so we just don't know when it's gonna when it's gonna land yet I'm told January 2022 Okay. So and did they shoot the whole did they shoot the whole thing? I think they did, right? It was ordered to series. Yeah, we're still filming it right now, so I'm like I was in Atlanta last week shooting and so uh hopefully I'll be out in a couple more weeks, hopefully, you know, we'll see. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Uh and yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, congrats huge congratulations on that. Thank um you. And anything else anything else on the horizon right now? personal projects uh well you know i've got some irons in the fire of stuff i can't it's not real so i can't really like nothing's for sure so i can't really like talk about it but you know we're just hoping that um i can move into the rich lady chapter of my life uh sooner rather than later (laughs) i am done with being a poor lady i am ready to be rich with a bunch of fake teeth and um caps veneers Um, veneers yes both all all uh, all of them bridges who knows uh yeah i'm just ready to i'm ready to step into the next you know portion of my career so hopefully it's it's you know coming up maddie in the next (laughs) few years i have i have a good feeling um and finally where can where can people where else can people find you online um if you are unwell and using Twitter, you can find me at Madison Shepherd. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody on that side is doing good. No, um, everyone on that side is really, <laughs> really upset at their life. It is damaging going on there. It is, but I'm addicted. <laughs> I, know. I know. Me too. Yeah. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter or you can find me on Instagram at Madison underscore shepherd one day it'll be at madison shepherd but who knows instagram is dying nothing matters the ocean's on fire <laughs> there's a pandemic that's taking people does somebody out. does somebody else have the handle oh yes because uh, i guess madison shepherd feels a little more little more common than claude deering yeah you're lucky i mean yeah. the problem is is all these kids who are named madison are suddenly becoming adults and getting you know emails and stuff so anyways they're sitting on my social media handles and it's like, okay, I, well, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, Madison, thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, you are an awesome, awesome comedian. Uh, and I'm so, I'm so glad to know you now. Congratulations on things being on the up and up. And, uh, and I'm excited to see what you do next. Oh, it's so lovely to meet you. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah. Let's Thanks. hang out. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> If you listened all the way to the end of this episode, I love you. Man, that got awkward. Give us a subscribe and those sweet five-star ratings, a nice comment, and we'll return the favor by bringing you even more quality content in the future. You can check out our Patreon and our merch for more ways to support the pod. You can find both in our Instagram handle, at things are going great for me. Stay tuned, because we've got four more incredible episodes in Season 2, premiering every Thursday, including interviews with Joe Tippett, Alicia Oxy, Pej Vidat, Noah Maxwell-Clark, Stephanie Black, Mapuana Makia, and Shelley Bala, to name more than a few. Our sound engineer is Christopher Frontiero, and our series composer is Cormac Bluestone. Our graphics editor is Sierra Hauser. All right, for you truly thorough listeners, you thought I forgot about this part. Hey, Apple Podcast peeps. We see you, Spotify folks. Hey now, Stitcher fam. What's up, you freaky pocket casts, cats? Hey, breaker brethren and sistren. Salutations, radio public people. Hello, you overcast outroverts. Welcome to the party, Google Podcasters. Good day, good pods gang. Sprecancy Spreaker, anyone? We love you all equally until we get bought by one of these companies. Oh, please let us get bought by one of these companies. See you next time. Dum, 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 dum.